Hello and welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Welcome back, guys. So it has turned out that I've done bi-weekly episodes this year for season three, but it'll be good news for you guys that from next week, we will be back with the weekly episodes and more guests. So you won't have to listen to me talk to myself all that much, but I will say that the solo episodes have been very well received. So I'm going to try and keep up the solo episodes going into the rest of the year. Today, I'm coming on to talk about grouping athletes and athlete archetypes in GAA. It's something that I've kind of touched on previously in my in-season, off-season and pre-season GAA episodes uh, S&C for GAA specifically, obviously, because that's my expertise. But I thought I'd go into a little bit more detail around how I group the athletes and why I group the athletes. Um, it's something that probably was neglected and is still neglected from a lot of the athletes that I speak to. And it's understandably neglected as well, because strength and conditioning coaches only have so much time with athletes, especially at club level. As well as that, most strength and conditioning coaches at club level are drafted in to work with simply one team and they have a whole other job that they're doing to pay the bills. And typically they're not paid very well for that work with that one team. They might be only getting paid for one night's work and then maybe out of goodness of their heart, they're sending a program through to the team to do. Now, realistically, if you are actually bought into the team's results and their performances, then you should be sending them a program to do. But I can understand where they're coming from when they decide that, look, I am just going to pay. They're just paying me for my time. So I'm going to reserve the time that I'm working with them to just that hour. But at the same time, it is a bit negligent. And I do believe that it's quite a scarcity mindset, I think that if you provide more value to the team you're working with, they're going to see more value and gain more value from working with you. And then as a result of that, you they'll be more likely to refer out and look for you to do more work with them because they'll really see the results that you're bringing to them. And if you're just not giving the athletes a program to follow, and if you're just turning up with a random workout uh, every week or every couple of weeks or whatever, there's not going to be great value in that and they're not going to gain good results from it. And if you see your work as um, a part of your identity that you get a lot of well-being from, um, then you probably should be putting a little bit more effort into what you're doing because you should be looking to guide the athletes and help the athletes to a new level of performance. You shouldn't be just seeing it as a means to an end in terms of paying the bills, even though at the end of the day it is. So I can see both sides of the coin, but I definitely fall on the other side of the coin where I'm trying to provide the most value that I possibly can, sometimes to my detriment. Sometimes I go so far down the rabbit hole and so far into the weeds that I burn myself out and I neglect to focus on the things that really matter. But that being said, I think for a long time, it's been a stock program that's been given to groups of teams. And it's like, follow this, no matter what position you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what level you're at, no matter your physical performance levels, no matter your training age no matter how long you've been in the system, no matter what you need to work on, 
everybody's going to follow this program and everybody's going to see the same benefit from this program. And we all know that that's not the way things work. So I have a number of different strategies that I use to try to solve that puzzle, uh, solve that piece of the puzzle. Number one, I'd say, is the easiest strategy is when you write that program, you give ranges in terms of the reps and the sets and the loads that are being prescribed to the athlete. And then they can self-select what amount of volume they're going to get through in terms of reps and sets and sometimes loads as well, depending on their level of recovery that day, depending on their level of readiness that day. That's the easiest way to do it. And I think most coaches should be doing that anyway. It shouldn't be just the way it used to be where you must get through five sets of five on this day. You must get through 12 reps of four sets on this day and this exercise. And if you don't get through that, then you haven't completed the program to failure. There's definitely exercises and there's definitely reps and there's definitely sets that are of higher importance than others in a training session. That's why I put bicep curls always at the end of the training session because the lads will always want to get to the end of the training session then and they'll be very, very efficient and effective in order to get through everything else to get to the end of the training session. Uh, but that's a slight tangent. So that's the number one thing. The number two thing then is to give and prescribe different variations and different options in terms of exercise selection um, for the athletes for each movement. Very, very simple thing to do. When I said to Jake Tura that I was doing that, uh, and I think maybe it was Will Rattel as well, and it's something that I would have thought that Will would have been doing, and he probably is doing since, and he has so many variations and he has a good understanding of there's many ways to skin a cat and it's not necessarily the specific movement that's going to elicit the adaptation, but the quality and the intensity that you bring to that movement. Um, so I'd say he's doing it now. But at the time we spoke, he was kind of shocked to hear that I was prescribing variations and options in terms of uh, exercise variations for each of my athletes, and they could select which option they wanted to do. And I've spoke about it previously as well, that typically... With male athletes, from what I found, they will always want to change a couple of exercises to suit themselves within the session. And that's why that is available to them. And I, I don't mind like if you do a front squat, a back squat, a zercher squat, a safety bar squat, a goblet squat, um, any number of things. I don't mind what option you pick. There's no best variation but there is a best variation for you in that the variation you believe you're going to be able to execute yourself, the variation that you enjoy doing and the variation that you bring the most intent to. So select whatever one of those you want to pick and then bring intent to that lift and to the sets that you're completing and the reps that you're completing of that lift. But I'm not going to get caught up in whether I want you to do a barbell split squat, a dumbbell split squat, a front foot elevated split squat, a step up, um, a step down, a single leg squat, etc. I'll leave that up to you. And then you're giving the athletes a level of autonomy that they might not be used to. And they're putting their program together for themselves to suit themselves. And then as a result, they're probably more likely to buy into it because they're, you're less authoritative. On the other side of that, with female athletes, we often run into the issue that I will prescribe those selections and variations, 
And they'll often ask me, well, which is the best one to do? And they won't often be satisfied when I say the best one to do is the one that you enjoy doing the most. And they typically say, Peter, I don't enjoy doing anything the most. And I say, well, that's fair enough. So just do this one. Um, but yeah, like typically they want to be told which variation to do. And they're looking to you for direction a lot of the time, whereas maybe it's something to do with psychology that the male psychology believes that they know best. So they want to select what they're doing. But maybe it could be potentially as well that the female athletes are used to an authoritative coach or figure telling them what to do all the time, especially in the GAA, because for especially the ladies and the girls I've worked with, they've said that they've dealt with a lot of authoritative coaches over through the years. Um, and that's the old school way of coaching in the GAA. And I, I've spoken about how I think it is changing, but I do see now this year, my second year working with them, they are more comfortable selecting what variation they believe they want to do and they're much more comfortable about standing out and skipping uh, reps and sets and they don't feel like they have to complete absolutely everything in the program if they're not able uh, physically to complete it and um, they they're kind of trying to grasp or they kind of are grasping that quality is better than quantity just because one person's uh, perfect volume is a certain amount of volume or, or their um, optimal volume that they should be getting through um is a certain volume doesn't mean that that's going to be the same for you you might be a little bit older than them uh they might be able to tolerate a little bit more volume you might be playing at a county level as well you might be playing for a couple of teams you could be playing a couple of sports as we've been through previously so um the minimum minimal effective dose for you is going to be different to somebody else that's just the way things are. And that's why we do need elements of individualization within our programming. Um, and th those are the two ways that I would say are the easiest ways to write just one program, but still allow for elements of individualization within the program. And typically when I was younger, I would have just wrote the same program and then maybe told the athletes specifically that, okay, you're not to do a uh, back squat because you are a lot taller, you're going to do a trap bar deadlift instead. And I wouldn't have actually had it on paper. They would just know from their interactions with me. But as you move through your career and you deal with more and more athletes and uh, you have to speak and converse with all of them, you're not just with one team anymore. It doesn't become possible to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every athlete that you're coaching uh, on a weekly basis, even though I try to. But if I'm coaching in a club and say I'm coaching uh, hurlers, footballers, ladies footballers, and then you have all the minors as well, that's coming to more than 100 people. Then you have to talk to coaches as well. So it might not be as possible. And that's why I refer out and get the interns and assistants in to give me a hand, because then you're still getting the element of individualized one-on-one -on -one, uh, soft coaching skills and the conversations that are important and then they'll keep me updated as to how various athletes are feeling who we need to kind of uh, protect from themselves who we need to push on a little bit um so yeah many hands make light work and that's how you do that but that might not be at the utility of you as a coach or it might not be the utility of your strength and conditioning coach so they might be just what writing one program. So the two aforementioned techniques are effective ways of making it a little bit more individualized. But 
what I also tend to do now, because I know that different athletes need different things. And I know I said I'd touch on archetypes, or but it's kind of like the types of athletes that I see in the GAA typically. And a general approach isn't going to work. It's going to work for a certain amount of time, but it's not going to work optimally for everyone. And that's why we must individualized. But the three types of athletes that I typically see within a team environment are I see athletes that need to improve their strength. I see athletes that need to improve their stiffness or reactivity and their ballistic strength. And then I see athletes that probably need to improve uh, both. Uh, They're probably somewhere in the middle. And that's just me splitting it up into three groups for ease of use. You could easily just split it into two and say athletes that need to improve strength and athletes that need to improve reactivity and elasticity. Um, But I believe that there's probably three groupings. And a lot of time those groupings are based on age level, training age, and experience in the weight room, experience uh, with physical training. So that first group that needs strength, they'll typically have a lower training age. Their movement ability within the weight room maybe not at the same level as the other athletes in the group. And that's just because they haven't been exposed to it. So those athletes, I typically pull into a strength and size group, and typically I will give them a little bit more volume. And the nature of their program specifically would be more towards developing strength as a physical quality, as well as focused on hypertrophy too, because typically those athletes, especially at a male level, have just come up from underage and they might struggle in Gaelic football to physically compete. Um, But typically what I see with those athletes as well is they're typically very fast because they're a little bit lighter. Um, So reactivity and elasticity isn't generally a problem because they play so often when they're younger that they develop those qualities naturally, a lot of the time at least. Um, How do I assess that? I assess their movement ability um, in the gym by observation, I would say. Now, there are ways that you can assess whether they need more ballistic strength or they need more slower strength. Um, And you can use testing measures like counter movement jump and squat jump to get their elastic index that I've spoken about previously, where you will get their best counter movement jump and their best squat jump. And if that ratio of squat jump to counter movement jump is less than 0.5, then they probably need to work a little bit more on ballistic strength. And if it is greater than 0.5, they probably need to work on their uh, slower strength qualities. Um, But I don't typically use that, to be honest. I use a counter movement jump and an RSI um, on a drop jump. And if their RSI is likewise very, very high, but a counter movement jump isn't as high um, in terms of uh where they stand within the group and in relation to the typical measures for Gaelic footballers elite level Gaelic footballers then they'll probably be pulled into that group um and typically with a lot of this you could eyeball and select the and group the athletes just based on observation and what you know of them as long as you know the athletes well, like I'm in a privileged position or the the benefit of a position that I've been working with these athletes for three years now. So I know their injury history. I know what problems we've run into in the previous couple of seasons. 
I know and have observed and coached a lot of the younger guys that have come up as well at a minor level two and another 21 level. So I know what their strengths are and I know what their weaknesses are generally. Um, that doesn't mean that the strengths and weaknesses are what they perceive them to be, but they're what I perceive them to be. So then I'll fill them into those groups. Um, and then the next group typically that needs stiffness and reactivity they're pretty strong and they typically have the highest training age and they're typically the older guys in the group. Um, and they're typically the guys that they're not going to get much more added benefit from working on maximal strength or slower strength. Uh, they probably do need to work a little bit more on ballistics. And they're also the guys that a lot of the time will run into tendinopathies like Achilles and patellar tendinopathies. And that's probably what's been holding them back. Sometimes hamstring tendinopathy as well. Uh, so as a result, in their programming, I'll focus a lot more on ballistic strength and I'll put less of an emphasis on maximal strength and hypertrophy because they're already probably pretty big if they've been amongst the group for a long time. They're pretty physical and strong on the field. Are we going to influence them positively by getting them stronger? We've probably uh, squeezed the orange for as much juice as we can in terms of that quality so maybe we need to focus on other things so i'll give them a lot of extensive plyometrics a lot a lot of movement based uh, stuff that i'll probably steal from david gray uh I'll, and obviously i'll steal the plyos and i'll do more yielding and deep tier plyos that i've stolen from matt mckinnis watson as well as the extensive plyos which are pretty general i might steal from altus i'll do a lot of that stuff with them um as well and that will play, be more important than the strength quality. So what you'll see with those two groups as well is that stiffness reactivity group, they are probably at risk of tendon injury more so than muscle injury, muscular injury. Whereas the other group that needs strength, they might be at a higher risk of injury for muscular injuries. And I see in that group that needs strength a lot of the time in that group of the younger athletes that come up that a lot of them are at a high risk of hamstring injuries because they are pretty powerful already. They just don't have a good level of strength. So it's beneficial to give them uh, enough training to develop their strength, hopefully, which will in time reduce their risk of injury, but enough strength that they're not going to slow down as well. And you don't want to put too much size on them too, because then they're going to be carrying more load and they might be at e even increased risk of injury as well. So that group the, that needs strength and size, the first group, I typically see they have a very good max velocity, but their acceleration might not be as good. Whereas that second group that need the reactivity and they're strong already, they're typically good accelerators, but their max velocity might not be very good. Then the third group that need a little bit of both, they're typically the athletes that I would say are in their prime in terms of their strength. They need to improve strength. They need to improve their ballistic strength as well. But I'm happy with the level that they're at already. So I call that my speed and power group because I have a bias towards speed. So I'm satisfied with their strength. I'm still going to focus on trying to develop it, but I think we're going to get more out of focusing on developing their power generation capabilities than and their, and their ability to generate force in uh, high velocity movements than we will in slower velocity movements. That doesn't mean that we won't do them. As I've spoken about previously, we use a vertical integration approach. So we focus or we try to develop all the qualities. It's just there's a specific emphasis on different ones, different stages of the season and for different athletes. 
Um, but they're typically in the middle and typically in age range wise, they're typically in the middle as well. They're usually from the age of about 24, 25 up to 29. And then the guys past the age of 29 typically go into this stiffness and reactivity group. That's obviously, and I'm obviously using a lot of generalizations here, but that's a lot of the time what happens. Sometimes I might see athletes that come in and they're really strong, but they need stiffness and reactivity and they could be younger. Um, and that might happen, but it's less common than what I've just outlined already. I interrupt the podcast to let you know that pdperformance and nutricate.com have teamed up to deliver the GAA Elite Athlete Blueprint. The GAA Elite Athlete Blueprint is a monthly subscription to elite level strength and conditioning programming and specific elite level nutritional assistance to improve your strength, speed, power, change of direction and conditioning ability for Gaelic Games. We are interested in taking your game to the next level. We have 10 spaces available in the March cohort and if you're interested in signing up and taking one of those spaces, do not wait. Get in touch immediately, drop me a DM on socials or drop Kate a DM on socials with the word elite and we will transition you into the program and the platform as soon as we possibly can. We are really, really excited about what we've been putting together and can't wait to deliver it to club level players around the country. We are taking on the mission of improving the standard of care delivered in terms of SNC and nutritional practice to the club level athlete. So get in touch immediately, drop me a DM with the word elite or you may miss out. And now, Back to the podcast. So then in relation to that last group, we will do a lot of uh, exercises focused on improving their power, as well as that because of my bias, we do a lot of exercises focused on developing and improving their ability to run uh, and to sprint, to accelerate, to change direction, etc. But that is for later down the line in terms of maybe their uh, specific physical prep and then their specific development phases of the programming, not during the GPP phase. Typically at the GPP phase, the sessions that they're getting through look very, very similar, uh, other than those slight differences in terms of volume and intensity and in terms of exercises that I'll prescribe for the three different groups. Um, but that's kind of what we typically would focus on. And then within those groupings, it's important that you have that one-on-one -on -one interaction and the athletes know what they need to improve upon in order to be better at an athlete with that strength and size group they'll know that they need to improve their maximal strength so it's probably good to set a number of uh, goals with that group in terms of where they're going to get in with their maximal strength lifts and their compound lifts as well as that you can set uh, goals with their counter movement jump and rsi2 and maybe their acceleration as well maybe a set a 10 meter time that you want them to get uh, as well as well as that you might aim to improve their peak power with a trap bar or peak power with a barbell bench press um, we measure both of those using output sports and we typically do it relative to body weight as well so that we can be very competitive amongst the group because as I said those players in that first group are typically the lighter players then with that second group 
the stiffness and reactivity, a lot of the time the athletes that fall into that group, their major goal is just staying fit and staying available to the team and being available and lasting the length of the season. So you will set goals with them and you may set goals that are in relation to how they're actually feeling and the amount of volume they're getting through. But typically what you might set with them, you might set goals that are in relation to their RSI and improving that reactivity. You might have the goal of maybe improving their maximal speed, improving their sprint distance on game day or training sessions and improving their HSR, so their high-speed running, so the amount of high-speed running they're getting through. The peak power element is probably not of the same importance with them. Uh, The 20-meter sprint time might be important with them. But with each of these athletes, you want to do a bit of a needs analysis with them in terms of what are your strengths as an athlete? What are your weaknesses as an athlete? And they'll be able to identify what they believe they need to work on. And then from the quantities and the quantitative data that you have from your testing, you, well, we call it testing, but it's really monitoring in what we do you may be able to identify the physical qualities that they need to improve in relation to themselves, in relation to the group, and in relation to the standard measures for elite GA players um, of their age level and uh, of their um, training age as well. And the important thing when you're doing that needs analysis is to sit down with the athlete and actually pick their brain and converse with them. And this year, we haven't done it previously because I didn't have the resources or the time. Uh, But now with the couple of assistants that I have working with us, we're going to sit down with the athletes and actually set physical goals for the athletes to hit uh, at periodic times uh, throughout the season. Now, it is going to be hard because of the fixture schedule that I've gone through previously. But if we at least sit down every six to eight weeks and just assess where we're at, it's probably beneficial anyway to just sit down and have a conversation with your athletes and then aside from that like they'll probably want to set those physical goals and they're very much outcome related goals but they are process related goals as well uh in terms of that and working on that physical quality and those physical qualities is going to help them to hopefully perform better on the field physically which will overall help the team to maybe uh, be more likely to win. But then you might sit down with the athletes and you might go through process goals around how you're going to actually achieve the outcome goal of the measure. So what extras are you going to do? And I think that's probably neglected by a lot of GAA athletes is what extras are you going to do? And it might be as simple as a small microdose for some of the athletes. Like maybe if you're a slow accelerator, you need to go out and pull the sled once a week or once every two weeks at a certain uh, load um, that you'll identify with your coach. Maybe if you have a poor max velocity and you're not able to reach a high max velocity then you need to get out and get a couple of exposures to max velocity within the week and you need to converse with your snc coach around what they have planned for certain days of the week and maybe get out just 10 15 minutes earlier if you need to improve your ability to decelerate and improve your ability to change direction maybe you need to work a little bit on eccentric strength within the gym and do that additionally or you need to get out and you need to microdose change of direction and deceleration prior to training. If you're feeling unfit, 
and you can't get through the same high speed running volume that other players are getting through and you're struggling to last the game then potentially you need to wait behind after training and get through a few reps at um a velocity higher than five meters a second or four meters a second uh and maybe you need to do some linear tempo maybe you need to do some multi-directional tempo but none of these things are going to just get better by themselves sometimes it's less is more and we need to protect the athletes from themselves but sometimes they do need a little bit extra and it's not the amount of extras that they're going to do but it's the quality of those extras i've used the analogy previously and i've gone through it with athletes and gone through it with uh, athletes that i'm coaching both online and in person of in the preseason, if you feel you need to do extra conditioning, then assess the RPE of the training session, the team training session you just did. If that RPE is eight, then you have a two left over. You multiply that by two. You'll get four minutes of tempo or mass running that you can do at the end of that session. Now, you need to plan where you're going to put that into the week in relation to when your next uh, highest intensity sessions are going to be and when your next uh games are going to be but you need to converse with your strength and conditioning coach around that at least if you know the strategy and you know what distance you should be running like you're going to be pretty able to do that yourself um and that's about open lines of dialogue and that's about asking their questions and that's why you sit down with the athlete for 10 minutes which coincidentally is what i'm going to do tonight with my group of athletes that i'm going to pick for the goal setting or that i'm going to look after for the goal setting not pick for the goal setting and Maybe then that is necessary as well from a tactical coach standpoint and a selector standpoint, because often in the GAA and in rugby as well, in every sport, teams and athletes can feel aggrieved and they can feel that they're not being communicated to effectively. But as I've just went through, you have so many athletes in a team, it might be hard to have a five to 10 minute conversation with one of those athletes regularly. So I think it would be beneficial for each selector or each coach amongst the team to have a pool of athletes that they're going to work on process goals, outcome goals, match day goals, um, and they're going to guide towards improved performance, or they're at least going to be holding accountable towards adhering to the habits and adhering to their process orientated goals um, and the things that are going to get them there. And th- that coach might just be a sounding board or they might be giving them specific instructions in terms of you need to improve your tackle you need to improve your ability to get around the field you need to improve your ability to score from this scenario in this position so you need to get out and you need to do five to ten shots in this position under pressure uh, once a week or once every two weeks or whatever very very simple thing to do but a lot of the time we don't have the organization within our coaching team to do so. Um, and I don't think it has to be that regular that you're checking in with them. I think it's probably a positive thing to check in with them once a month. But as I said, every four, six, eight weeks is probably fine to check in for a 10 minute conversation. What needs to go right with you in terms of your process? And maybe the strength and conditioning coach can even impart some accountability within that structure they might not be able to give the tactical emphasis and know specifically from a tactical standpoint what that person needs to work on but it might be killing two birds with one stone to have them do so 
and sit down with that athlete and set some goals and some process goals to help them to get towards that higher level of performance that they're striving for. But I do believe that it's probably beneficial from a cultural standpoint and from a standpoint that you need your coaches and your athletes to be on the same page and conversing a lot and you need them to be close as well and to trust each other and know what each person is doing Uh, I think it's probably beneficial to have the selectors have a group of athletes that they'll work on the tactical stuff and then let the S&C coach and the performance coach work towards the other aspects of the game now they may be giving them a hand in terms of nutritional habits in terms of sports psychology but the actual parts of the game the tactical and technical parts of the game should be probably left to the tactical and technical coach and i think that if you're doing that it's probably beneficial to have a coach that you trust or selector that you trust that you're working with and before each game send that coach or that selector a few process orientated goals or some outcome goals personal goals that you want to hit in that game and I did this last year with a few of the athletes just because we didn't have the resources and availability to let the selectors do so and take over I think we will be doing it this year but maybe it's as simple as I want to make Uh, six tackles throughout the game I want to make two blocks I want to um, limit myself to no negative turnovers I want to take two shots on I want to get through this amount of high speed running I want to be this successful in terms of percentage with my kickouts I want to be this successful in terms of percentage with my fielding and my catches and my marks I want to score this amount I want to limit my player that I'm marking to this amount of scores, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think if you're picking like two or three of those in a game, it's going to give you uh, an additional focus point. Hopefully what you're selecting is positive rather than negative. I know I said there uh, no negative turnovers, and that's just something that I have seen uh, athletes select. And I probably wouldn't go into the scarcity side of things i'd probably go to an abundance side of things and and frame it in a way that i'm not going to say no negative turnovers which may breed a little bit of fear and anxiety i might say i am going to get this amount of hand passes or this amount of kick passes so it's a goal to strive for rather than something that if it happens you're going to feel like oh uh, it's black and white i failed already there's no point in continuing um, whereas if you're saying like no drop balls or or no uh, turnovers or I'm going to limit my man or my woman that I'm marking to scoreless, uh, it's probably not leaving any margin or room for error. So if they do score in the first two minutes, what are you going to do then? Because you've already failed in terms of your goals. So it might be more beneficial to say like I'm going to limit them to a, a few shots from play or something like that. Two shots from play is what they're allowed. If they go over, they go over. Uh, you can't really control that, but you can try to limit how many times they can get on the ball, how much space they have uh, and how many shots they have on target, etc. And that might be a beneficial thing. But similarly, I've worked with athletes as well who don't like to focus on it to that to that extent. They want to just go out and play and they don't want things to focus on in terms of uh, their performance to try to lead to a higher level of performance. And that's perfectly fine as well. 
the whole idea behind this episode, I suppose, is trying to cater for different personalities, different people within the one group. And if you're working with people, you need a people-centered approach and it needs to be an individualized approach. That doesn't mean you have to write 30 different programs and you have to set 30 very different goals with each person. It just means you need to use a framework that allows for a little bit of autonomy autonomy within that framework. So you need to give the athletes the options and you need to give them what they're needing and you need to be able to have a dynamic environment in which you're able to um, be flexible in terms of your prescription of exercises, prescription of extra work, prescription of what the athlete needs to do. Um, and you're being what each athlete need, each athlete needs um, at the time that they need it. So you might be a different coach for each athlete and you'll have different focus points for each athlete. And you'll use different language and different level of different levels of communication and different ways to communicate with each each athlete. And if you're a good coach, you're probably doing this already, unbeknownst to yourself. So it's probably just putting a little bit more structure to what you're doing. So again, I hope you enjoyed my ramblings today uh, about fitting athletes into groups. That's probably the way that I do it. And as you can say, see, it doesn't take that much time and effort. And it's not that much additional effort after I've written the initial program. And if I write the program that way, then it's very, very simple. I know that you might not have the same resources, time, help and guidance that I do. But at least if I give you the ideas and the framework of how to do it, then you'll be more likely to be able to do it than not if I didn't give them to you. So again, I hope I've provided some value to you guys with that episode. I hope it's a little bit clearer, a little bit more clear than it is uh, murky, let's say. And I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, if you did enjoy it, please like it, share it and send it. <laughs>